Have a seat on the floor. Down here would be great. Thank you. Children? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Every, how about everybody come down here on the floor? That would be great. Okay. Well, looks like we got another good group up here. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, this is week two of Advent, okay? And uh, this is really exciting because we're counting down the days till what? Christmas, there you go. I knew a lot of you knew that. And that means we get to light our second candle today. So we lit our first one last week. And now we get to light our second one. And as you see, we have four candles up here. By the time we get to the last one, that means Christmas is going to be almost here, right? So as the Sundays go on, we'll get to light a different one of these each and every week, and that's pretty exciting. Now last week we talked about one element of the Christmas story. We talked about the manger, and what did I say the manger was kind of like? What did I hold in my hand? Yes? Do you remember? A dog bowl. Very good. Yes, I had a dog bowl up here. That's right. And we were saying a manger is the place where animals would eat, right? And we were talking about how amazing it was that God chose that to be the King Jesus. He's really a king, right? Uh, that to be his first place to lay his head. Now, today we're going to be talking a different, about a different element of the story. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the angels. And I'm going to open up my Bible here to Luke chapter 2. If you guys celebrate Advent at all in your homes, you might read this. And I'm going to start in verse 8. And listen very closely. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you in this day, uh, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that the shepherds told them. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Now, let's just review a little bit about that to make sure we were paying attention. Now, when there were these angels that appeared in the sky, who was it that was standing out in the fields that night? What were they called? Yes, Jack? Shepherds. Very good. Very good. And we said that the angel appeared and they sang praises to God and told them where they could find this baby. And uh, does anybody remember after the angels disappeared, what did these shepherds go and do? Yes? Henley? Do you know? They went to the stable. Yes, very good job. Yes, they went to go see this thing that uh, they, they had heard about. Okay? Now, here's a bonus question for you. After they had gone and seen the little baby boy, and they saw Mary and Joseph, what did they do next? Yes, Caleb? 
They gave them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You're thinking of the wise men who would come later. But very good guess. Yes. Anybody know? Yes, Seth? Very good. They spread the news to all the other people that they came in contact with. And you know, the idea I want to tell you guys this morning is that your job is like that of the shepherds. Your job is to tell other people about Jesus as well. You know the Christmas story, and you know that a Savior has been born. And our job is to tell as many people as we possibly can about it as well. But you know, the hard thing is that sometimes we just don't know what to say, do we? Sometimes we want to tell people about Jesus, but we just don't know how to share it. Well, today I want to give you guys something that might help you a little bit with this. And I'm going to give this to you at the end of the service. So come and see me at the back of the service. I mean, at the back of the church when the service is over. What do I have in my hand? Yes? A candy cane, that's right. And you know what? There's a book that we like to read in our house that you can find as well in our library. So if anybody wants to take this out, little plug for the library there. Um, The Legend of the Candy Cane, okay? And there's a great explanation in here about the symbolism of this candy cane. Now, you guys know it's a, a piece of candy, and I'm sure you enjoy that. But what you may not have realized is, if you flip this upside down, this can be a great way of telling people about Jesus. If you look at this, it's the shape of what letter? Yes, J. Very good. Okay? And so you can bring some candy canes to people, and you can bring them with this little message that's attached and tell them the story about Christmas. You can tell them that J stands for Jesus. You can see that there's white around the edges that stands for Jesus' purity. You can tell them about him dying on the cross with the red stripes of blood as he was beaten, as he was hanging on the cross. And you can tell them about he's your shepherd, how you turn it upside down and it looks like a shepherd's staff. And all that's on here in this little poem, which I'll give to you at the end. Remember, at Christmas time, our job is to tell people about Jesus. And maybe this will help you guys with that. Thank you guys so much. You can go back to your seats now. See me after the service. Good morning. Good to see you here today. I'm going to start this morning by confessing to you that I am a bit frustrated. I'm mostly frustrated with myself as I have been preparing this message. Um, I have way, way too much material. Um, Way too much. And I know that. Uh, So we'll be here at two. No, no. Uh, So um, I'm going to be editing on the fly. I hope it makes sense by the end. Uh, But um, I was going to turn this into two separate sermons, but then I lose the application. So I'm going to edit as I'm on the fly. I hope it goes well. Uh, But, uh, you know, ultimately these things. And... Believe me, I, I did prepare uh, this week. Uh, but uh, ultimately, our confidence is not in the preparation. Our confidence is ultimately not in the consideration. But we really pray that God would work. And uh, that's my desire this morning. Let us pray together. Lord, uh, we ask that you would meet with us. We ask that you would speak through your word. I pray that you would overcome my limitations. And uh, Lord, you would guard our thoughts, guard our words, enable, equip, uh, use good judgment even as we go. And uh, Lord, uh, ultimately our confidence is in your spirit. Take and apply your word in ways that would be helpful and beneficial to your people. 
and yes, even bring conviction to those that don't know you. All this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, for it's in his name we pray, amen. As you know, uh, angels pray, play a very prominent role in the Christian Christmas narrative. Many of our Christmas carols have direct references to the angels, such as angels we have heard on high, hark the herald angels sing, angels from the realms of glory, and the first Noel the angel did say. Christmas decorations often are these festive representation of angels. Perhaps you have a Christmas tree, and usually adorned at the top of the Christmas tree is either a star or an angel. Well, there are numerous references to angels in the Christmas account in the New Testament. Gabriel is mentioned twice in the Christmas narrative of being sent to an individual, to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Gabriel was sent to Mary. There is an unidentified angel that is sent to Joseph. An unidentified angel appears to the shepherds. Then there were a great number of angels that appeared to the shepherds, even as we heard this morning. An angel warns Joseph of the plot against the baby Jesus. And after Mary and Joseph and the baby fled to Egypt, an angel appeared to them and told them that they were, it was now safe for them to return. So why didn't God continue to use the angels to proclaim the good news of the gospel to mankind. Why was that responsibility turned over to us? Why us? Why not the angels? You know, the angels seem to be doing a pretty good job of it. They faithfully fulfilled their duty. They went to each person to whom they were sent they seemed to be quite effective. When they showed up, people were impressed. People were moved to fear, then moved to faith, and moved to obedience. We find that on each occasion, the person did what the angel told them to do. Whatever it was that they were instructed to do, they did it. So, why the switch? Why not continue on? Sounds like a pretty good practice to me. Let the angels do it. Let them proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why us? Why not the angels? Well, first, there's a theological answer to that question. In the birth of Jesus, God's presence is here. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it is referring to Joseph, and it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. God is with us in two ways. First, God is with us in the sense that God is on our side. 
God is on our side in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's reconciling the world to us. God is for us. God is not against us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondarily, it means God is with us in the sense that God's presence is here. God himself has come to the human race in the person of the baby Jesus. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And since Jesus is the Son of God, he is superior to the angels. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to go through this material quite quickly. I'm just going to read through Hebrews 1 and make some comments. Since Jesus is the Son of God, he is superior to the angels. He is superior to the angels because he created all things. The Son of God created all things. Notice verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he spoke unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. John 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Son of God was the creator. The angels were not. Jesus is fully God, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, he upholds all the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is fully God. The angels were not. Jesus is superior to the angels because of the redemptive work that he accomplished. Verse 3. The words, after making purification for sins. Jesus and Jesus alone was able to save us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, These things the angels long to look into. They would long to understand the issues of salvation. They don't even understand it. They don't even get it. We have the beautiful picture in the Old Testament of the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there were uh, the seraphim, there were the angels. And uh, they were, had wings folded and there was one on one side, there was one on the other side, and the Ark of the Covenant was in the middle, and as they were placed on the outside, their wings were folded and they were looking down into the Ark of the Covenant. It was a picture of what is described here in First Peter of how they longed to look into those things which are part of our salvation. So he is superior to the angels for he accomplished salvation. They don't even fully understand salvation. Jesus is superior to the angels because he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. After purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The angels have an exalted position, but even in that exalted position, the highest position they can get is to stand in the presence of God. No small position to be sure. And alluded to a number of times I'll give you just one. Luke chapter 1, verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That was his calling card. I am Gabriel. 
I'm the angel. I stand in the presence of God. I'm not going to read all the repeated, but that's repeated time and time again. I stand in the presence of God. But Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He has a higher exalted position than do the angels. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his relationship to the Godhead. Notice verse 4. Having become a much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. No angel has received those words, but Jesus does. Jesus is superior to the angels because the angels worship him. Notice verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 1. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Let all God's angels worship him. This is a very important verse. And I would encourage you, if you memorize verses, uh, make notes in your Bible, keep this one handy. It's especially helpful when you talk to a Jehovah's Witness who will say that Jesus is a God, but not the God. A lesser God. And they will tell you that you are blaspheming God by worshiping Jesus. And that Jesus should not be worshipped. God says in Hebrew chapter 1, verse 7, let the angels worship him. He is superior to the angels. He's God. And he is to be worshipped. Jesus appeared to the angels because he rules over all things. Hebrews 1.8. But the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so you see that even there, God refers to him as God. God who formerly spoke to the prophets and the angels has spoken to us through his son. Notice Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in the last days he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. God spoke at different times, and it says in many ways. Verse 1. Many times, many ways. He spoke through the angels. But now... He speaks to us through the Son. I was going to unpack that about three times as much as I've just done. But let me tell you, here's the transition. The transition is this. Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. We take on the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. We are called the sons of God. We have a relationship to God that is higher than the relationship of the angels. We have a dignified, exalted place. We reign with Christ in his kingdom. We sit on thrones in his kingdom. 
Is it any wonder that the angels asked the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? We need to understand that we have been elevated at a place that is higher than the angels. I'd love to unpack that because it's a wonderful and glorious thought in this relationship that we enjoy that we actually are called the children of God. It is a place of position, a place of prominence, a place of joy. It is something that we should just relish and delight in. But I'm going to move on. And I'm going to say, because of this position that we enjoy as sons of God, fellow heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have a tremendous responsibility. God has saved us for the express purpose of bringing his message of reconciliation to others. Another passage. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that's where we're going to be for the rest of the morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The theological basis of why us and not the angels is because of the exalted position of the Lord Jesus Christ who is greater than the angels and then because he makes us joint heirs with himself, making us in a higher position than the angels. Doesn't make us equal with Christ, of course, but places us in a higher place than the angels. Next. God saved us for the express purpose of bringing the message of reconciliation to others. Christ saved us so that we would live our lives for him. Notice 2 Corinthians, starting at verse four, chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, now here's the reason, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Christ died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves. We would no longer be self-absorbed. We would no longer be just concerned about our own happiness, our own well-being, our own desires. But he saved us so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. So... Christ died so that we would live for him. Salvation is a great turning point in our lives. Verse 16. From now on, therefore. From now on, therefore. So having this life, having placed faith in Jesus Christ, things change. From now on. From that moment in time in which we are born again, given new life, things change. How do they change? Number one. We no longer look at things from a purely natural point of view. Notice verse, two, uh, verse 16. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. When he says that, he's not talking about the physical flesh of the body. He means flesh in terms of our old sinful way of thinking. We no longer look at this world 
We no longer look at other people the way we used to. Having been brought into a relationship to Christ, having our desire changed so that now we no longer live for ourselves, but live for God, it has brought a tremendous new mindset. We no longer look at this world and our fellow mankind the way we did before we were saved. Thus, salvation is truly a life-changing event. It is though we have been created all over again. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In what sense? In this difference of no longer living for ourselves, but in living for him. That is like we've been created all over again. Because initially, that's why we were created, to love and to serve him. Now we're back to loving and serving him if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. This change has been brought about solely by the work of God. Verse 18, all this is from God. And this work is summed up in the word reconciliation. Verse 18, this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is a great, wonderful, important theological word. Reconciled. Reconciled. Before we were saved, we were enemies of God. Not only were we self-absorbed, and not only while we we were self-centered, but we were actually working in antithesis to God. Our thinking was antithetical to God. Through Christ, we have been brought back to God. Brought back to where we were before the fall, and actually brought into a more intimate and personal relationship than before the fall. But we have been reconciled to God. Now that we are saved, we are brought into a relationship where we love him. Notice verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Controls us. Now we are motivated out of our love for Christ. That is not what motivated us before we were saved. Our ambitions, our desires, were not motivated out of our love for him. Now that we're saved, that's what motivates us. So what does God want from us? Why did God save us? God, who in Christ reconciled us to himself, has now given to us the responsibility to reconcile others to himself. I watched a Christmas special this week. Maybe you saw it, the country music special. And one of the songs I never heard of before was, What Does God Want for Christmas? Interesting Question, what does God want for Christmas? I didn't think the answer was too good, but at least they asked the question. So in that light, what does God want for Christmas? What does God want from us? Why did God save us? Well, look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's not the whole reason. 
That's not the whole purpose in saving us, but it's a very significant portion of the reason why he saved us, because he entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people into a right relationship with God. That's our responsibility. He did not entrust that to the angels. He gave that to us. And in so doing, God was not holding our sins against us. Notice verse 19. That is, Christ and God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So, Jesus didn't hold it against us. God the Father did not hold it against us that we were sinful. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is because we were sinners that we needed to be reconciled. It's because we were sinners that we needed to be brought back in a right relationship with God. It's because we were sinners that we didn't love God. For the essence of righteousness is to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. We didn't love him that way, so we were sinners. So Christ died to bring us back. Now we're to carry on that work of Christ. We are to be reconciling people in this world. We are to be bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we to do that? Notice verse 19. Last part of that verse. I'll start with the whole verse. That is that Christ, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So what is trusted to us is the message. The message that you can have a right relationship with God. The message that your sins can be forgiven. The message that your sins cannot, won't have to be held against you. The message that you can be brought into a right relationship with God. The message that God will welcome you. The message that God will receive you. The message that God is on our side. That God came to this world in order to bring us back to him. That message has been entrusted to you and to me. We who are saved. The angel said to the shepherds, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel wasn't just bringing a message to the shepherds. He was bringing a message to the shepherds that were to be taken to the whole world. As you think about this Christmas season, God has entrusted us with this responsibility of taking the gospel, the good news, the message of reconciliation to all the peoples of this world. God is now speaking to, through us instead of speaking through Christ. Notice verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's a powerful statement. God is making his appeal to us, through us. We are speaking for God. God is going to spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ through us. That is the instrument that he has chosen to use. That is the way in which the world is going to be reached. 
Never blame God for someone who hasn't been reached because he has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's what he's going to do. And he's not going to write it in the sky. And he's chosen not to use the angels. He's chosen to use us. We speak for God. Remember Hebrews 1. Hath in his last days spoken to us through his son. Now, he speaks through us. Notice as it goes on. We are carrying on the work that the Father had given to Christ. Notice the end of verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ. King James, in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We are in the place of Jesus Christ. Christ is no longer on the face of this earth. He is risen. He is seated at the right hand. And now we are his representatives. We are his representatives. We are in the place of Christ. Christ has been removed from this present world and we are here in his place carrying on this work of reconciliation. Now, we don't carry on salvation. We don't die on the cross. But the message isn't going to be heard from Jesus. The message is going to come from us. Jesus isn't going to appear and declare the gospel to individuals. We declare the gospel to individuals in Christ's place, in Christ's stead. We do it. He doesn't. We are taking the command and invitation to the world that they are invited into fellowship with God. Notice verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Experience God's forgiveness through Christ. Come and love God. Carry out the work of Christ. Take the message and work of reconciliation to others. Be reconciled to God. So let me talk about some application this morning. First, as we think about the angels, and I didn't get to lay the theological foundation for this statement that I wanted to make, so I'm sorry. But the primary reason for the angels was that they revealed the glory of God. They revealed the glory of God. People would see the angels, they would fear. They would reveal the glory of God. They, after, of course, the, the individual, you know, the individual said, 
Behold, I bring you good tidings, great joy, which shall be to all the people from you who were born this day in the city of David, the Savior is Christ the Lord. And then shortly after that, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. They revealed a heavenly glory, for they stood in the presence of God. But they really didn't understand salvation, for they did not experience it. They did not go through it. They, they wondered at it. They were amazed, amazed by it. The angels revealed the glory of God. We reveal the heart of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That motivation, okay, that is what is unique to us. That's what uniquely qualifies us, in addition to the standing that we have. But this opportunity to reveal the heart of God, to be able to speak from personal experience, of God's love for us, how God has redeemed us, how we were far from God, how our thoughts were alienated from God, but Jesus Christ did a work in our lives, and now we are reconciled to God. We can describe what that is like. We can speak about it firsthand, and we can glorify God, for we know that it has nothing to do with us, and we can go and take that message to others. We are to go and follow the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to identify with us. Now we are to identify with him. We are Christians. We are brought into a relationship with him because he first had a relationship to us. And now as Christians, we can bear the good news of the God-man. And we do so by, the scripture says, being an ambassador, being a representative. So we act and look like Christ to this world. We reveal the human side of Jesus, the Son of God. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Now we are to be people of grace and truth. We are not to be holding people's sins against them. We're not to be vindictive. We're not to be harsh. We're to be forgiving. We're to be, for, we're to be kind. We just don't take the gospel to our next-door neighbor who bakes us pies and cakes. We take the good news to those who are sinning against us, to those who are miserable, cruel, hateful, murderers, cheats, liars. We take the gospel to all people because we represent the Lord Jesus Christ who did not hold people's sins against them. He said, I came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We aren't here to condemn. We're here to bring a message of reconciliation. We're to show forth Christ in a way that it was impossible for the angels to do. So conclusion, why us and not the angels? Why us and not the angels? Well, the message was well received. Not because of the power of the angels, but because it came to those to whom they were directed. The angels were sent to specific individuals. In fact, 
They say that. The angel was sent to Mary. The angel was sent to Joseph. The angel was sent to Zacharias. The angel was sent to people. Specific people. We aren't sent to specific people. What made the gospel effective, what made the message effective, was not the power of the angels. What made it effective was that God directed them specifically to the people to whom they had been sent. The gospel is no less effective today. And it's no less effective through us as human beings. It's simply that we have not been sent to specific people. We're to take this gospel message to every single human being. And it will be effectual in the lives for whom it has been sent. We don't know. We don't know. There's no demarcation on somebody's head. We are to take the good news to every single human being and encourage them to repent. Encourage them to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Encourage them to be reconciled to God. No longer live for themselves, but live for God. We are uniquely qualified to take the gospel to the world because through Christ we have become sons of God. Through Christ we have become the sons of God. Four things that we should take from that. First, we should understand the privileged position that we occupied to be able to take this message of reconciliation to others. We are sons. A higher place than the angels. We should see the great responsibility that is ours in taking this message of reconciliation to others. If the angels were obedient to the command of God, how much more should we be obedient? If we are praying, Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how much more should we be doing his will? The responsibility that is ours to take the gospel to all mankind. We should see the urgency that we should have in taking this message of reconciliation to others. Our passage said, and I wasn't able to exegete that as fully as I would have liked, but in that passage there's this incredible statement. It says that we beg you, we implore you in behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Beg with people. Persuade people. Cry over people. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, how often I would have gathered you under my wings and you would not. Jesus is not indifferent to the lost. God says that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Our only thoughts ought to be for sadness and heartache for anyone who doesn't know Christ. We should be begging people, imploring people, agonizing over people, who don't know Christ. Think of who doesn't know Christ in your family. Think of who doesn't know Christ on your block. Think of who doesn't know Christ and take the message of reconciliation to them. It starts with us, even as it started with Christ. He came down from heaven. We didn't go up to him. 
He entered our plight. He entered into our world. We can't expect people to come to us. We go to them. We enter their plight. We enter their sinful condition. We enter their heartache. We enter their misery. And we engage in the consequences of their own sinful actions so that we can be an instrument of reconciliation and peace. And we should see the joy that there is when people come to faith. Scripture says that there is much joy in heaven when a single sinner repents. The scripture tells us that Jesus despised the shame of the cross, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? Paul tells us in Thessalonians. What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? It's you, he says to the Thessalonians. It's you. What should be our Christmas joy? What should we delight in this Christmas? What would be the greatest gift that you could receive? I submit to you the greatest joy ought to be if we were able to lead someone to Christ. That should make our Christmas. That should thrill our hearts. That's what we ought to be praying about. That's what we ought to be working towards. That's what we want to achieve. For Jesus Christ came into this world to reconcile men to himself. And he's given us that privilege, that responsibility, that duty. May we be good representatives of Jesus Christ and bear the good news of reconciliation to this fallen world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us this this year, this Christmas season, to think of those who need the gospel, those who need the good news, those that need to be reconciled to you. And, oh Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ who does not hold their sin against them. Oh Lord, may we not let the wrongdoing of others towards us keep us from sharing the good news to them. May it not keep us, prevent us from praying for them, longing over them, agonizing over them, saddened by their lost state. And, oh Lord, give us a heart that thrills with the thought of leading someone to Christ. And, oh Lord, I pray that you would be so kind, so blessed, as to give us that privilege as we share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be your instruments And may we be able to rejoice in seeing your spirit at work and seeing people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us this Christmas season to be good representatives of you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.